And we're going to be looking today on the second Sunday of Advent at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through to 38. So if you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to be there today. We're going to be camped in this wonderful narrative of the visit of the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Um, so really excited to cover this. You can open up your, your Bibles there. I don't think, depending on what version or English translation you have, I think it's pretty more, much all of a, much, of a muchness. I don't think there's any kind of really um, bad translations we need to deal with. Um, but there are some interesting differences which we will look at too. So let's read it together, shall we? Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement, and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And he shall, you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, who also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren, is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Lord, we thank you for your word to us today. And God, we thank you that in this second week of Advent, you have us focusing on this amazing scripture concerning the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray now as we begin this passage, Lord, that you would open up our spiritual ears to hear what it is you're saying, Lord God. I pray that you would move away any of the junk and ballast that we're bringing in from our weeks. Lord, whether it's been a tough one, whether we're struggling even now, I pray, Lord God, you give us grace to be able to get past that stuff and receive what it is that you've got for us today. And I pray, Lord God, that you'd help me to preach your word as it is, not adding any of my own flavouring to it, and not veering off to the left or to the right, but speaking the truth in love. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So, this passage this afternoon, if you were here last week, you'll, you'll notice some similarities. We're headed back to Nazareth. We're back in Nazareth. We were in Nazareth last week. We're in Nazareth today. Except this time, the clock has wound back 30 or so years to the visitation of the angel Gabriel to Jesus' mother, Mary. Our focus today, of course, is love. We're focusing on love, particularly the love of God. I don't know about you, but when I read this passage, it just hits me emotionally sometimes when I think of it. I, I just can't believe 
that God chose to send his own son into the world. Isn't that amazing? The older I get, the more it rocks me, the more incredible I think this is. I can't help but wonder the magnitude of that one event. You know, it didn't happen in Rome, this wonderful event, the most important event by the crucifixion and resurrection, perhaps, in all of human history. It didn't happen centre stage in Rome, did it? It didn't even happen in Jerusalem. It happened in this backwater town. It happened to this young girl, perhaps the age of 14 or 15 years old, a young virgin named Mary. And isn't that wonderful that God chooses the things which humans scorn and abase, and God uses those places and those people to do his incredible works. He uses ordinary people and ordinary places, and that's good news, isn't it? Amen? I'm an ordinary person in an ordinary place, and so are you, and God can use you mightily. So, I love when I read this passage to focus in on the grace and the love and the goodness of God. And when I read it, you know what verse pops into my head? John 3.16. John 3.16. This is the verse that gets me because it reminds me of why God sent the angel Gabriel. We know what the angel came to say. We know who he said it to. But John 3.16 tells us the heart of the matter. John 3.16 tells us why he came. It says, for God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he sent Gabriel. He so loved the world that he gave Jesus to Mary. He so loved the world that whoever, say that with me, whoever believes in Christ will not perish but have eternal life. Church, I want for us to marvel at this truth today. I want for us to celebrate this moment in history. I want for us to take a moment, even now, And just thank God that 2,000 years ago, that angel came to visit Mary in Nazareth. I want you to savour the significance of what that meant. That really, in that moment, your salvation was sealed. We know what Christ came to do. Jesus came not to condemn. He didn't come at that time to judge. He came to us as a love gift from the Godhead. That's what Jesus is. Jesus. That's why we always say it's cheesy, but Jesus is the real gift at Christmas time. Jesus is a love gift from the Father. And it's through him that we're saved. And brothers and sisters, John 3.16 is one of the most famous verses in Scripture. It's almost one of the it's also rather one of the most misunderstood verses in all of Scripture. People don't understand what the word so means. For God so loved the world. Yes, that's true. That word so can mean a measure in terms of how much God loved us. But in the Greek, the word that's translated so is actually hutos, which means thus, thus. So what it really says is for God thus loved the world. So the verse isn't really talking about the kind of ethereal greatness of God's feelings of love. No, it's not talking about that. It's talking specifically about how God manifested that love. Does that make sense? So it's not for God so loved the world. It's for God thus loved the world that he sent his only son. Does that make sense? For God thus loved the world that he sent his only 
Son. So it's through Jesus, it's through Him alone that we fully experience God's love for us. Do you see that? Because if we get this wrong, if we get it bent out of shape and we think that John 3.16 says, Oh, for God so loved the world, He was just enraptured with love for all those sinful people who hated Him and were running from Him then we might get this wrong. We might think that Jesus is just one expression of God's love to the world. And that he's so desperate to show his love for the world that he creates many others. Maybe he creates a way of salvation in other religions. Maybe he just gives everybody a second chance after they've gone to the grave. But that's not what John 3.16 says at all. John 3.16 says there is but one way for you to experience fully the love of God, and that is in Christ Jesus, his only begotten Son. Hallelujah. Amen. That's good news. When we want to show people the love of our Father God, we point them to one person, the person of Jesus Christ. We point them to the gospel. We point them to these passages. This is how God loves you. He sent his only Son. And if you will believe on him today, whoever you are, whatever your background, you shall be saved. Hallelujah. That's how we know the love of God. We don't need some crazy esoteric experience. We need Christ. We need him. We need the gospel. Now, in the sixth month, this scripture says, in the sixth month of what? We might ask, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sends this angel Gabriel to Nazareth to visit Mary. I want to just take a moment to talk about this because that's unusual, isn't it? How many of you, I know some might have, but how many have ever encountered an angel? Is anyone here? I, I, have, I haven't seen an angel, but some I know have. But let's think a minute about the angel Gabriel. What does the Bible tell us about this character. Well, firstly, his name, Gabriel, in Hebrew means man of God or strength of God. That's what Gabriel means. He's an angel from God. He's been sent as a messenger. And he isn't named in the Bible specifically as an archangel, but we know from other sources that he is considered as an archangel alongside the archangel Michael. We also know that he visits three people in the Bible. And you know that one of them is Daniel, who we're actually studying right now. The angel Gabriel visits Daniel in Daniel chapter 8 and 9. And we'll hear more about that as we study through the book of Daniel. He also visits two other people, one of which is Mary, and the other is Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And on each occasion, do you know, every time Gabriel visits somebody, in the Bible, it's always got something to do with Jesus. It's always got something to do with the coming of the Messiah. Isn't that interesting? Whatever Gabriel's assignment was from God the Father, it had something to do with the proclamation of Christ and of the Gospel. So what did he look like? I always wonder that. I don't know about you, but when I think about this, I always wonder, what did Gabriel look like? One thing we do know, we don't get told what his features were like, but every time that he shows up, People get scared. People get scared when Gabriel shows up. Does that mean he was just super ugly? I don't think so. Perhaps, perhaps not. Um, but we do know that Daniel fell on his face when Gabriel appeared before him. We know 
from this same book of Luke that Zechariah was gripped with fear when he saw Gabriel. And though we often see angels depicted with wings, we don't get any sense that Gabriel has wings here. We, we have reason to believe he looked like a man. Maybe a big man. We don't know. But whatever he looked like, we can be sure that if he rocked up here right now, some of you would be under the chairs. <laughs> so he was very striking in appearance. Gabriel tells Mary that she's favoured. He says, favoured one. And that he also tells us that the Lord is with her. He's with her. <coughs> Through what God was about to do in Mary, the favoured one, those two things would be true of everyone who believed in the son that was about to come into her womb. Isn't that amazing? That everybody who believes in this son, that, Je that Jesus, well, that Mary's about to bear, everyone who believes in him is going to share those two things with Mary. They are going to be favoured and they are going to be with God and he will be with them. Gabriel tells Mary she's going to conceive a son in her womb. He also tells her that this boy will also be God's son. So he will be the son of Mary, the virgin, and he will be the son of the Most High, the son of God. We also hear Gabriel say to her, you must call his name Jesus, Jesus in the Greek, Yehoshua in the Hebrew. Now, what's really cool about the Hebrew name Yehoshua is the same name as Joshua. Joshua, okay? And it literally means Yahweh will save. That's what that word means. Yahweh will save. So in these two short verses, 31 and 32, there are actually some really deep revelations about Jesus Christ. I don't know if you're catching this. There's two huge revelations to us about Christ. Number one, concerning his nature. His nature, who he is. And secondly, concerning his mission. What it is he came to do, okay? So these two things are set before us in really simple terms. Now, there are theologians that have written books that could fill this whole auditorium on these two revelations. The nature of Christ and the mission of Christ. Let's just take a look quickly at the nature of Christ and what it says about him in these verses. I think this is wonderful. The Bible doesn't overcomplicate things, does it? It makes things easy to understand for the simple mind, but deep, so deep that even the smartest mind could spend their whole life trying to research the depth of what those words mean. Isn't that amazing? That's the Spirit of God. That's why the Bible is not just a dead book written by dead men, but it is a living word authored, yes, by people, but equally, ultimately, by the living God. So what does it tell us about the nature of Christ? Well, it tells us first that he will be born of Mary, that he will be human, that he will be her son. He will be human. Secondly, it tells us he will also be the son of the Most High. So in a sense, he will have two parents. He will have a parentage that is human and he will have a parentage that is divine. He will be both human and divine, as the theologians have it. Truly man and truly God. 
not that Jesus is part man or like 50% human and 50% God, but fully man and fully God. There's never been a person like Jesus Christ. There never will be another person like Jesus Christ. I like how Charles Spurgeon puts this. He says this, he is God. He is man. He is all that God is and all that man is as God created him. He is as truly God as if he were not man, and yet as completely and perfectly man as if he were not God. Think of this wondrous combination. There's never been a person like Christ Jesus, and there never will be. The Godhead took on human flesh in that moment, and he still carries that humanity with him today, and will do for eternity. This is powerful theology. One person, an individual who was truly human and only somebody who's truly human could stand as a substitute for humans. A dog couldn't pay the penalty for human sin, could it? It's not a human. Only a true human could pay the penalty for human sin. But yet, only one who was truly God could bear the weight of wrath from God against sin. God has an infinite and holy wrath against sin. The Bible tells us he cannot look at sin. He's holy. And when he poured out his wrath on Christ on the cross, it was only by virtue of the fact that Christ in his nature is divine that he was able to bear that wrath. An ordinary human could not have paid the penalty for your sins. Does that make sense? And God, without human nature, could not have paid the penalty for your sins. Only the God-man could pay the penalty for human sin. Isn't that wonderful? In terms of his mission, what he came to do, we're told, as I've said, that his name is to be called Jesus. The Lord will save. Yahweh will save. His mission then is to rescue a people for God. That's what Jesus came to do. To save. Yes, he did other things that are wonderful. He came to teach. And his teaching has formed the basis of many Western governments today. The civilized world owes a great deal to the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, he came to heal people. Amen. He came to heal the women the issue of blood. He came to heal the paralytic who got lowered in through the roof. He came to do many wonderful things, but his ultimate mission was not simply to come and leave us with wonderful teaching. His ultimate mission was not to come and heal a few sick people. His ultimate mission was to save a people for himself. His ultimate mission was to give a love gift of the church to the Father through his sacrifice on the cross. We're told also that he will be great, that this Saviour Jesus will be great. I want to say to you, Jesus Christ is not just a Saviour. He's not just a way of salvation, but he is the way of salvation, and he is a great Saviour. Jesus doesn't offer us the possibility or the potential of saving us. I want, I want you to know that today. There are many that preach Jesus like that. Like, yeah, you know, he's a potential way of salvation. No, no, no. Jesus saves. Jesus actually saves. 
His death on the cross actually ransomed the people for God. Paid for their sins. Done. He's not a potential saviour. He's a real saviour. He's a great saviour. Now, when Mary hears all this, she asks, how's this going to be? How will this be since I've never been with a man? I'm a virgin. There's a good point here on apologetics that I'll share. The, 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 um, the word there in the Greek that's used for virgin, it can just mean young woman, Parthenos. And there are some that say, she wasn't a virgin. The word in the Bible doesn't mean virgin, it just means young woman. Right? Now if that's true, let's grab that. It can also mean young woman. But the fact that Mary turns round and says to the angel Gabriel, how will this be? Since I've never been with a man, tells us that that word parthenos does mean virgin. She admits it. Christ came from the virgin's womb, brothers and sisters. She says, how will this be? Now, isn't it interesting that just a few verses back, we've got Zechariah asking a very similar question. How will I know for certain that this will come to pass, right? And the angel Gabriel turns around and says, you will be dumb until the day that your son comes because of your unbelief, effectively, right? Why doesn't Mary get the same treatment? Why isn't it the same for her? Well, there's a difference, actually. If you look carefully at the two questions that get asked, Mary asks, how will this happen? Zechariah asks, how will I know for sure that this will happen? Her question was just a simple question of, But how? I'm not married. Like, how's that all going to work? Zechariah's question was, how will I know that I can trust you? Does that make sense? Slight difference in there. He wanted to do a Gideon. He wanted to put a fleece out there. And the angel Gabriel wasn't having any of it. (laughs) So the angel tells her, he says, this is how. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Most High will overshadow you. That's how you're going to conceive. The word that overshadow that's used here is a really interesting word. And it's actually the same word that's used for the glory cloud that covered the tabernacle in the days of Moses. When the glory cloud was there so powerfully that that he couldn't go in there. He couldn't go in there. It's the same word that's used there. It's actually what we call the Shekinah glory of God. Right? Now... I want to say this today, and I I want to leave you with this, because I think this is so powerful and so true, okay? Just as that Shekinah presence of God overshadowed Mary, and she conceived, so also, wherever the Spirit of God comes to be and rests, wherever He is, there will be new life. Wherever that presence, that glory of God overshadows, there will be fresh life. We know this because every time the Holy Spirit touches a sinner, He creates a new heart in them. He replaces the heart of stone with a heart of flesh that can believe on God, that loves God, that wants to serve God. But even greater than that, wherever you choose as a Christian... Whenever you choose to step in and live alongside the presence of God, to dwell with Him every day, to become aware 
of the presence of God as you walk about and do your daily business, right? Wherever you choose to do that, you're actually inviting fresh life. You're inviting new birth. Because wherever he is, there's new life. And I sense that for today. I really sense there are people in here that are are weary. But you're walking with the Spirit and new life is coming. Fresh strength is coming. Fresh courage, renewed vision. Deeper encounters with God. Wherever the Spirit is, there's liberty and there's new life. Now, after hearing this, the angel Gabriel encourages her and he says, Your cousin Elizabeth is in her sixth month. And he follows it up with this amazing phrase, for nothing will be impossible with God. In the Greek, it's actually followed up with two words that aren't translated often in many versions. But in the, the NIV, they try to do it. And those two words are uh, panlogon, which means every word. Every word. So what it's saying effectively is that every word of God, every promise... That he's given you. Every word of his. Of prophecy. Of promise. In scripture. Belongs to you. And none of it. Will return to him void. You know that Isaiah 55 11. None of it will return to him void. Nothing will be impossible. For the word of God. To accomplish. Nothing can stand in the way. Of God bringing about all. That he's promised to bring about. I want to ask you today, what impossible situation are you facing? What things in your life do you look at and say, there's no way that could happen? What promises of God do you have and you just think, I haven't seen that yet? Well, this says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Every word that he has promised shall come to pass. Hallelujah. That's a wonderful truth. And this is where I'm going to finish. Mary turns to him and says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. If I was Mary, I'd have a lot more questions that I'd like to ask. I don't know about you, but I'd be thinking, what about Joseph? You know, if I get pregnant, what's he going to think? God, have you thought about, is there a plan for him? Are you going to show up to him? What about my mum and dad? They're going to kick me out if I get pregnant. What about the village? Won't they try to stone me? Are you going to announce it to them? Is there going to be some kind of a, you know, a, public, uh, a public outcry? God help me to know these things. But she doesn't ask any more questions. Isn't that incredible? She doesn't ask anything else. She just says, let it be to me according to your word. That's powerful. A 14 or 15 year old girl has just become the example of faith to all of us. She accepts God's plan for her life. No matter what. She doesn't need any more clarifications. Now, I'm going to be real with you. I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes in life, I've struggled with what we call providence. You ever heard what providence is? Providence is simply the unfurling of God's plan for your life. You don't get to look ahead and see what it is. Because God is sovereign, he's ordaining all things that come to pass. Everywhere. At all times, in all places. And as it unfurls, you get to know it and you get to see it. And I've struggled sometimes with that. Have you? God, why? 
Why now? Why this sickness? Why this thing that's happened beyond my control? How am I now going to accomplish X, Y, or Z when this has happened? How many of you have felt like that? God, this isn't the way my life's supposed to be. I've said that in my heart. I don't know about you. I've had my plans about my life. And I've struggled to be like Mary and to simply accept what God has planned for my life. And I don't know what Mary's plans would have been. But she accepted God's sovereign decree for her life and she accepted it with faith. And, and I feel challenged by that. I don't know about you. I feel challenged. How might it look if we to just simply accept the things that we have from God now and just say to him, let it be to me according to your will. Let it be to me according to your will. Whether I am healthy or not. Whether I am wealthy or not. Whether I'm accomplishing or feel like I'm accomplishing the things I should be or maybe not. Let it be to me according to your will, Lord. Now that's some powerful faith. Amen. So this Christmas, I want for us to remember these things from this short passage here. Firstly, that God sent Jesus because he loves you. He sent Jesus because he loves you. Secondly, Jesus came to save you. You need a saviour. You need a saviour. God is a holy God. He will not look at sin. You need Christ in your life. Thirdly, all who choose to be in Christ, all who are his, are highly favoured of God. That doesn't mean you won't experience difficulties. Please remember what's about to happen to Mary. She's about to go through extraordinary challenges as a young girl carrying a baby that nobody knows whose it is. But she's the highly favoured one. She couldn't even find a room in Bethlehem, but she's the highly favoured one. Is this starting to make sense to you? Being highly favoured of God does not always look like we'd want it to look. But all who are in Christ are highly favoured of God. Fourthly, through Christ God is with us. He's with you today. Through Christ Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit. I think this is one of the most under-practiced revelations in all scripture. To simply recall that truth to ourselves. Every morning when we wake up, God's with me. God's with me. He's with me. He's not somewhere out there. He's actually with me. And that is both an amazing truth and a scary truth. But God is with us. God is with us. Fifthly, wherever the Spirit is, wherever the Spirit overshadows you, there's new life. How many of you would like some new life this Christmas? How many feel like you're depleted, need some more? Well, wherever his spirit is, there's new life. And in a moment, I'm going to actually ask um, a few leaders if they will just come to the side here and, and just pray for people. If you know that's you, your energy tanks are low, you feel like 
there's something new. I need something new. I want something new. I'm ready. I'd love to pray with you and just see what God will do. Sixthly, that nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible. Whatever it is you're looking at in your life and thinking, there's no way that could ever happen. Nothing will be impossible with him. If there's a sin that you're fighting, you just can't seem to get rid of. Nothing will be impossible with him. All things are possible with God. And finally, I want to leave us just with that amazing faith of Mary. I want for us as a church to learn this, to rest into God's plan for our lives. To accept it, to embrace it, and even to love it. Even to love it. You know, the Bible talks about it, doesn't it? It says, don't love your lives unto death. Don't make your plan for your life and how things are supposed to be into an idol. It's it's just, it's a proven track record to depression, isn't it? That way of living life, of thinking, well, this is where I'm supposed to be in five years, and by 35 I'm going to have done that, by 45 I'm going to have done this, I'm going to have this kind of house, this kind of work. It's a pathway to depression and destruction. True joy, is, is, seriously, is not found in that. It, it, it's found in embracing the life that you have at the moment. Embracing, embracing the station and the call that God has given you. Because nobody else has been given that. And nobody else will. Just you. And the sooner we, we come to embrace and to love that and to thank God for it, warts and all, with all the difficulties and all the stuff we face, the sooner we do that, I'm telling you, the happier you'll be. The happier you'll be. So let's, let's stand and, and let's pray. And um, I don't know if there are any leaders of a man and a lady. Hands up if you wouldn't mind coming and praying.